0: Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 11, if you will. We've been involved in a series, and we're going to continue that series, on the story of Nehemiah. We're coming to the end of the story of Nehemiah. The title of the series is When God's Burden Becomes Our Vision, and uh, we're going to wrap it up this morning, but let me just kind of catch you up and tell you what's been going on. First of all, how many of you realize by a show of hands that God has a burden? God has a burden. His word says, my yoke is easy, and what? My Burden is light. God has a burden. And his burden is for his people to come to know him. His burden is that his people would discover that he loves them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. But he rose again on the third day for our life. That's God's burden. God has a burden that his people would be restored back to him for eternity. And Nehemiah got the burden of God and it became his vision so much so that Nehemiah left the place that he was working in and he went to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. The story of Nehemiah is really a restoration story. He's a type of Christ in the extent that he left his place of comfort, he left his kingly palace, humbled himself to go to a lost and hurting dying generation to restore them back to God the Father, which is exactly what Jesus did. Amen. Amen. He left his heavenly place, his kingly palace. He humbled himself as a man. He came and made a way once and for all for the people of God, you and me, to be able to be restored back to God the Father. So that's what Nehemiah has done. We found him here as we're breaking into the scripture towards the end. He has already rebuilt the city walls. He's already hung the gates. He did this in 52 days with his incredible team and with the power of God behind him. He did something in 52 days that no one was able to do in over 140 years. We've talked about how he's an Ethan Hunt type of a guy. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is go rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And Ethan Hunt says nobody's ever done that before in 140 years. Well, you can do it. And he goes and he does it. Last week we talked about how he began to set in place the foundational principles that this city was going to be governed by. He set in place the temple system... HE SET IN PLACE THE WORD OF GOD AS THE FOUNDATION FROM WHICH THEY WERE GOING TO BE GOVERNED. THEY GOT SO EXCITED, THEY CAME UP WITH A COVENANT. THEY JOINED THEMSELVES IN THIS COVENANT BACK INTO RELATIONSHIP WITH GOD, SAYING, Nevermore WILL WE DEPART. UNFORTUNATELY, YOU CAN READ ALONG AND FIND OUT THEY DO DEPART. BUT THIS COVENANT, THIS REGENERATION OF LIFE IN THE CITY OF JERUSALEM CAUSED THEM TO HAVE A GREAT CELEBRATION SERVICE. THEY BROUGHT THEIR TIES AND THEIR FIRST FRUITS, MUCH LIKE WE HAVE DONE IN THE PAST COUPLE OF weeks. And then Nehemiah thinks everything is set in place, and he actually goes away for a while. Let me talk to you about chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13 to get you kind of an overview of what happens in the end of the chapter. Chapter 11 is when everyone begins to move into the city. They begin to populate the city at this point in time. And chapter 12 lists all the names of the leaders that have been set in both past and present, okay? Chapter 11 has the names of a lot of people that have moved in. Chapter 12 has the names of a lot of people that came in as leaders in the past and in the present. I'm not going to read that to you because I can't pronounce most of the names, and that would be about 15 minutes of your life you can never get back again, okay? But it's interesting, chapter 12, if you get a chance to read 12 and 13, chapter 12 is where they have the dedication ceremony to the city. And they march around the walls. Ezra takes them one direction and Nehemiah takes them the other direction. And they have this huge concert that surrounds the entire city and they, it, it culminates in the temple. It's a great passage to read. And then Nehemiah thinks everything's cool. He goes back to his place of vocation. He's there for a while. He comes back in chapter 13 only to find that they've already begun to stray from the principles of God. They begin to use the Sabbath Instead of a temple sacrifice, they begin to use it as a trading post. People are coming in from the outside and setting up tables, and they're beginning to trade instead of worship God. Families have opened themselves up to pagan gods, and they've come in. I just have to show you this because I think it's so cool. In chapter 13, if you want to look at it with me, I don't have it on the overhead, but like chapter 13, verse 19, shows how this incredibly strong Jack bauer s type of a guy <laughs> deals with adversity in here. And this is where he's seen that these traders were coming in to the temple, and he's frustrated. He's mad. He says, "...then I posted some of my servants at the gates, so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice," is all they did it when I was around. So then I warned them and I said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Now, do you think that meant he was going to go down there and pray for them? Some of you think that's it? No, uh uh-uh. And he, he said it in such a way that from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. I doubt this was the verbiage that Nehemiah used. He went out and he saw these guys. He had already threw them out. And he saw them just waiting at the gate for when the gate possibly opened, they could sneak in and continue to do their trading. And Nehemiah looked over the wall and said, what do you think you're doing? He says, hey, I am one lean, mean, God-fearing machine. I'm going to come down there and open up a can of whoop on you if you stay there another night. I'm going to hit you three ways, hard, fast, and continuously. That's what he said. I'll hit you so hard I'll kill your whole family if you don't get out of here. Now, you say, oh, Nehemiah, he would not be able to carry out such a thing. He was an incredible man of God. (laughs) Let's read on. That's how he dealt with the people on the outside. How did he deal with the people on the inside, those that were allowing pagan gods to come in? Look at this in verse 25. He says, "So, so I contended with them and cursed them, struck them, and pulled out their hair. Jack Bauer interrogating the witness and made them swear by God saying you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons nor take their daughters for their sons or for yourselves this is Nehemiah got him in a headlock he's beating on them pulling out their hair swear you're not going to do this again swear you're not going to do this again I swear I give I give now we got kingdom kids in here okay this was a holy wrath that the man of God did don't go home and start doing this to your brothers and sisters God's not going to bless it, okay? Unless they're going to find a holy wrath in there. Anyway. So, Nehemiah was a very strong leader, to say the least. Okay? But let's get into what I really feel like God wants us to talk about today. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is where the population begins to move into the city. We have here three groups of people that I want to focus on. Verse 1 says, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem... There's the first group of people, the leaders. The leaders of the people dwelt in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring out uh, one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine tenths were to dwell in the other cities. There's the second group of people. The third group of people in verse 2, and the people blessed the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So the first group of people we have are the leaders. Nehemiah verse 18 says this, All the Levites, or leaders, in the holy city were 284. He said in 284 leaders, but because of the growth and the activity of the city, he had to continue to do this. As chapter 12, verse 44 shows us. He says, "...at the same time some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities, the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites." For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Okay. Three groups of people. The first group. The title of my message here, I haven't given that to you yet, but I'm sorry. The title of my message is Living in the Moment or the Museum. We have three groups of people here. We have the first group of people are the leaders. These are the people that had moved in and were overseeing the construction. They were already overseeing the work of the ministry at this point in time. 284 of them, and he begins to set in even more. These people were there because they were appointed leaders early on. The second group of people, it's a very interesting group. These people did not want to live in the city. They didn't want to be there. Nehemiah is trying to populate the city, and these people didn't want to be there, so they had to flip for it. Says they cast lots, much like rolling the dice. This isn't craps for Jesus. This is, they had to actually roll the dice to see who was going to go in. They didn't want to go in there. And I thought about it. I thought, why would they not want to go into the new built city? And as I began to investigate it and study it, here's what I came up with. Makes very good sense to me now. They lived outside the city walls, they had their own farming, they had their own land. They had their own rules and regulations. They had their own lifestyle. They had all of this freedom. They didn't want to give that up. They didn't want to come in and have to give up their lifestyle. They didn't want to come in and have to give up their fields. They didn't want to have to abide by the rules and regulations of the city, of the temple. They wanted to be out there and be their own people. They didn't want to come in. Can you see that? Some of us, we say, I want to live for God, but I really don't want to give up all this other stuff. Can I just come in on Sundays, pop in and check things out and head back out to the fields, to the outside of the city wall? Do I really need to stay there all the time? I mean, you know, I got a pretty good deal going on right here. I wouldn't mind including God in on what I'm doing. But I don't necessarily want to come in and give it all up. But then there's that third group of people. In verse 2, it says, And the people blessed all the men who willingly, say willingly, who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now this is a remnant of people that said, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I have to give up. I don't care what it's going to look like. But if I have an opportunity to move in and sit in the presence of God 24-7, why in the world would I not want to do that? I don't care what's going on out in my fields. I don't care what I have out here. I don't care what rules and regulations. I don't care what comfort zone I found myself in. I'll give it all up to go and abide in the presence of God. Now, that's the group of people that I want to be with. Amen? This is the group of people that discovered something, I believe. They discovered that the temple was not necessarily a museum, but it was a place that God was moving at that moment. See, the others, they may have thought, you know, it would be neat to come in on Sundays and remember what our forefathers used to do, you know, kind of maybe take part in some of the old rituals. But, uh, you know, I really don't want to live in the moment of God. I can maybe include some of that past stuff with what I'm doing today. But Nehemiah didn't build a museum Let me tell you the difference between what we're talking about in a museum. A museum is a place that you go and you pay your ticket, you walk in, and you look around at all the exhibits that are there. You look at this artifact and you go, oh, man, look at how old is that? I'll bet things were really happening back in those days. Oh, looky here, this reminds us of the day that our forefathers did this, or this reminds us of a time in century in the history that we did this, you know? It's a time to reflect on what has happened. And a lot of us are living in museums. A lot of us are living in that place where we're remembering all that God did. And there's nothing wrong with remembering what God has done for you in the past. There is something wrong with moving in to that memory. Are you with me? It's something wrong when you decide to live in the past and you long for the yesterday You long for how things used to be. Man, a long time ago, church was really happening. A long time ago, man, people were rolling on the floors, barking like dogs. I mean, it was crazy. Man, can't we go back to that place? When the worship services were three hours long, that was the day that God was really doing something. No. God is alive, and he's moving today. He's doing something today. And Nehemiah wasn't sitting around in his palace, and God said, You know, Nehemiah, I wish they could just remember what I used to do for them. Because I'm sure people would go by the old city when it was still dilapidated, and they would look at the rocks, they would look at the gates that were burned, and they'd go, Man, this was a place in its day. And this was a place where things were happening in this day and age. Right over here, see where this pile of rocks is? That's where they used to do sacrifices. And so God just anointed Nehemiah to go and build a monument. Build a place where they can go and show up and remember what I did for them. No. God said, Nehemiah, I'm moving. I'm doing something. Do you want in on it? Nehemiah said, yes. He said, go and build me a structure because I'm breathing life right now and that life that I'm breathing is going to need structure around it because people are going to come and they're going to be restored to me and there's going to be a remnant of people that want to sit at my feet and live in my presence and I'm going to show up for them. You see, there's a big difference, now listen to me, there's a big difference in building a structure and then asking God to breathe life into it versus finding out where the life is already being breathed, where God is already moving and then putting structure around that life. There's a lot of us in here this morning that we have a lot of good ideas, but are they God ideas? There's a lot of us that are running into all different directions, doing all kinds of great things, saying, I think I'm going to do this. And God, would you come and bless what I'm doing? God, I'm going to run over here, and I'm going to build this deal. I'm going to do this thing. And God, would would you come over here when I'm through and bless it? Instead of going, God, where are you? Are you moving right here? Let's go. Let me get right in here. God, are you moving over here? Let me get in over here with you. Because I don't want to do good things anymore. I want to do all God things. But there's a lot of churches, folks, and there's a lot of people that live in the past. I've had the privilege of going to a lot of churches in my days of ministry, and you've seen them. You go in there, and they've got the pictures of the old dead pastors up on the wall. Man, when Pastor and Such and Such was here, and they've got some pictures underneath his picture of the big old huge potluck dinners, you know, the chicken salad that would go forever. I mean, and they think those were the days. Those were the days, man, when God was really moving. And I've been in some of those churches, and man, they should just bulldoze those things. They're dead. It's like the old homeless man that got saved. He got saved. He comes into the church, you know, he hadn't cleaned up. He's still all stinky and nasty, and his clothes are all torn up, and he comes down at the end of the service for the altar call, and he says, "Uh, I want to join the church. God has saved me. And the preacher looks at him, man, he's kind of stinky, and he goes, "Mm, why don't you go back and pray and make sure this is what God wants you to do? So he goes back, goes back out to his box that he lives in, prays for a while, comes back next Sunday, walks the aisle and says, I've been praying, yeah, I want to join the church. The preacher goes, man... You're stinking worse than you were last week. will not you go back and pray one more time and ask God, is this really where he wants you? So he goes back out, comes back in the next week. Same thing. Goes back out, comes back in the next week. Preacher says, same thing. Finally, he comes back in about the fifth time. Preacher says, well, what did God say to you? He says, you know what? God told me to forget it because God himself has been trying to get in here for three years and he can't even get in. <laughs> God says, I'm not going to come to a place that people don't want to be in the moment. People don't want to be in me, living in me, having their being in me. Church, I want to be one of those people that decide I want to move in. And the only way that I know how to do that, the only way that I know for sure that I can be living and moving and being in the center of God's will, the only way that I know that is to do like this remnant of people, move in and take up residency in the presence of God. Listen to me, church. Listen. I pray this would set you free. So many of you out there are struggling and trying to find out what God's will is for your life. You're trying to find out what God's destiny is for your life. It's not your job to find out what God wants you to do. This is rocking some of your worlds, your theologies. But listen, it's not your job to find out the destiny that God has for your life. Your only job is to sit in the presence of God and he will lead you and guide you. He will place you in the place that he wants you to be. There's so many of us that are running around going, I wonder if this is it. I wonder if this is the person I'm supposed to marry. I wonder if this is the school I'm supposed to go to. I wonder if this is the vocation I need to do. I wonder what's going on here. Man, just get in God's presence and say, Lord, all I want to do is worship you. All I want to do is sit in your presence, God you move me, you guide me, you lead me, you place me. I'm leaving it up to you because that is God's job. It's God's job to put you where he wants you. Amen? It's not our job to try and help him. Our only job is to move into his presence and sit at his feet. I'm just an earthly father. I love my children dearly. And you know... If they came to me and they said, Dad, all I want to do is please you. All I want to do is make you happy. I want to do what you want me to do. And I knew their heart was pure because that's all they wanted to do was to be in my presence. As they begin to go through the roads of life and they make a turn in the wrong direction, I know their heart's pure. I know they're doing the right thing. And if I feel like it's the wrong place, I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to say, No, just sit right here and keep going this direction. Because I love them and I know that they love me. How much more will our Heavenly Father lead us and guide us and direct us. But we get distracted, folks, in so many different areas. Man, if I could just gaze at your beauty, Lord, if I could just stay at your feet and focus on you, I know everything else is going to be okay. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I was... At a funeral this past week, uh, Jamie Lewis's mom passed away. It was a great celebration of a homegoing. Anytime you're at a funeral or you're in that area, you are faced with the finality of death. And it is overwhelming. It causes you to reevaluate because when you begin to face death, there's a lot of things that become a lot less important in your life, right? I just was praying to the Lord. I said, "God, all I want to do in life, Man, it just sit at your feet. That's all I want to do is just be with you, Lord. I begin to think about all the things that I'm involved in personally and my family's involved in. I, I begin to think about the building and, and, man, how tired I am. The staff. I mean, it's been a tough three months, folks, for the staff. We've been working an awful lot, and God's been doing some great things. But I just said, Lord, you know me. I'm tired. I just want to be with you. I don't care, God. I don't care about the building. I don't care about anything else, Father, but sitting at your feet is the most important thing. Now, what do you want me to do? And God said, I want you to build the building because there's life that I'm breathing that needs a structure. But you're doing it without me. He just said, David, you're running around. You're trying to do this. You're trying to do that. All you need to do is sit at my presence. Sit at my feet because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I had to repent right there. I had to say, God, I'm sorry. I know that in you there's strength. In you there's joy. In you there's peace. In you there's everlasting comfort. And when I get outside of God's will and I start trying to do things on my own, that's when I crater. That's when all of us crater. And God says, man, just come back. Just come back to me because I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. But it's only going to happen as you focus on me. I thought about the 24 elders around the throne. I love the book of Revelation. And if you read in there, there's numerous times it talks about how the 24 elders are worshiping God. And this is what's going on. They're standing and they look up at the unveiled, majestic glory of God. And as they begin to worship, they see something in God that they've never, ever seen before. And it's so awesome, it's so incredible that it, it drives them to their knees and they fall on their face humbly worshiping God. And they like, I cannot believe what I just saw. And finally, they regain their strength and they stand up and they brush themselves off and they look at each other and they say, man, can you believe what we just saw? And they go, no. And then they start worshiping again. And all of a sudden, they see something in the face of God that they've never, ever seen before. And it causes them just to fall on their face in awe, in humility. I cannot believe that, Lord. Thank you for letting us see that. And then they regain their strength, and they stand back up, and they brush themselves off, and they start worshiping. And all of a sudden, they see something that they've never seen before, and they fall on their face. And they've been doing this forever. And ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. And listen, they have never seen the same thing twice. Every time they get up, they see something new in the presence of God that they've never seen before. Can you imagine what would happen if the enemy tried to come in and distract them from the presence of God? If the enemy came in and said, Won't you come over here and do this? Won't you come over here and do that? And the 24 elders would go, Are you kidding me? And leave this? There's nothing better than this. There's nothing better than this. There's nothing more pure than this. There's nothing worth living for than this right here. I'm sure that a holy reverence would rise up. A holy wrath would rise up and say, get thee behind me. Get away from me. I am not going to be distracted one minute from the presence of God. Do you think the elders wanted to stop and go, well, let's just live in what we saw yesterday because yesterday was pretty cool. Do you think they may have wanted to do that? We don't want to live in the moment anymore. Let's pull back and create a museum and talk about what we saw yesterday. No. Because they knew that every time they stood up, God was going to do a new thing. God was going to do something else. And that's what pulled them into their relationship with God. That's what they long for. Listen, folks, God wants to do a new thing in your life. He says, Would you move in? Would you be one of those that would be willing to move into my presence and take up residency and fall on your face before me and worship me? Because I promise you, you're going to see something that you've never seen before and it's going to rock your world. You're going to go, Why in the world would I want to run away from this? Why would I want to go? Why would I want to live outside the city gates and just come popping in on Sundays? Man, I want to stay, I want to move in. I want this place to be my house. Oh man, so many times I know that we knock on God's door and we're saying, Lord, we want to come in. We want to spend time with you, you know, and just about the time God opens the door, we get tired and we go on about our business. You know, when you were kids, I'm telling on myself, but you remember when you were kids and you'd play that game, you'd knock on the door or you'd ring the doorbell and right before they'd come to the door, you'd run off. So when they open the door, they're looking around like, where's everybody at? I really believe that's how it is with God a lot of times. We knock on God's door and we ring the doorbell. And just about the time he's fixing to open the door and ask us to come in, we run off. God's standing there going, I wish they wouldn't run. Because, man, I got a table in here of some incredible food. I've got everything that they need that pertains to life and godliness. I wish they'd just decide to just move in with me. Because my house is a great house. My presence is the place that you want to be. Amen? Let's read this scripture together as we close. It's a great prayer that Paul had. Let's read it out loud together. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant me, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.